Hi, this is Lorlin, community developer on Assassin's Creed. Welcome to Inside the Studio, a conversation with the developers of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. In this episode, Victoria Linnell sat with Hugo Gillard, game director on Assassin's Creed Odyssey second DLC, The Fate of Atlantis. Hugo shares what the team did to research and create a world full of fantasy for this second installment. This is Inside the Studio. Hi, I'm Victoria, your host on Inside the Studio, and today I'm here with Hugo Giard, the game director on the Fate of Atlantis DLC for Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Hi, Hugo. How are you? Hello. I am great. Thank you. Good Monday morning. Yeah, they're all great when uh, your job is making video games. <laughs> that sounds awesome. We're going to be talking about that with you uh, today. Um, could you tell us a bit about yourself and your background working on The Fate of Atlantis? Sure. Uh, so I've been with Ubisoft since about 2005. I've um, worked on Assassin's Creed since 2000. 10 so i've i've uh contributed to at least half a dozen games and now i was uh, i was quest design quest director pardon me on assassin's creed odyssey and now i'm the game director for uh fate of atlantis how has it been like uh, being the game director on the fate of atlantis it's a tremendous amount of fun i mean we are often limited by realism and uh, things that and, and historical accuracy when it comes to assassin's creed and all of a sudden in fate of atlantis we are talking about stories that have to do with gods and monsters and myths and uh, that 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 type of kind of exploring the non-traditional uh, elements of Assassin's Creed is something that's been uh, a lot of fun for, for me and for the team. And could you walk us through uh, that process, how it was different to work on uh, The Fate of Atlantis uh, as opposed to working on Assassin's Creed Odyssey? Well, it's typically um, relatively the same process uh, in terms of how you're going to build a game, the steps that you're going to go through, pre-production, production, all that type of stuff. It's just that for us, in terms of the ideas that we were able to generate as designers, we were not limited to uh, keeping both feet on the ground. So we could do anything we wanted. We could create worlds uh, that were fantastic, that could never exist. And that was uh, the, the huge difference between the two. But otherwise, building a story... Uh, whether it's in outer space or it's in ancient Greece, the elements of a story are always going to be similar, you know, in the sense that you have uh, protagonists, antagonists, all that type of thing. So really it's about uh, figuring out ways to tell those stories inside of this new context that we, we get to use uh, for Fate of Atlantis. And how did you decide um, what directions you wanted to go in uh, for The Fate of Atlantis? So one of the things we knew that we absolutely wanted to do with Fate of Atlantis was to make sure that each episode had its own world. We needed to give players somewhere new and exciting to explore. And those new worlds uh, typically come with a bunch of, you know, whether it's research or things that set your imagination on fire. And stories tend to, uh, you know, flow right out from that type of thing. The world is really uh, great at inspiring us to uh, create new, new stories and new, uh, new gameplay challenges. Awesome. And uh, so what kind of research went into creating a more mythological world? It's uh, again, it's it's strangely similar to what we do when uh, we're being uh, we're, we're trying to be realistic uh, in the sense that we typically will start with like, you know, a normal Google search like, oh, OK, so Atlantis, well, what do the myths say? What do the stories say? Uh, and, and kind of start building from from there. We also obviously involve our historian, uh, Stephanie, who's uh, been studying uh, ancient Greece and their stories for uh, years. 
And she had a huge part to play when we were trying to discover what are the kind of locations inside of Atlantis. Or like if I take episode two, Hades, for example, um, there are all sorts of small locations that exist in the myths that Stephanie was able to point out for us so that we could integrate it into our design. And it quickly becomes not just a part of the world, but like I was saying earlier, it becomes a part of the story as well. Uh, for you, what was the most fun you had uh, exploring uh, these mythologies? The most fun I had, I, hmm, I'd have to say building the stories for episode three. They revolve, uh, they're a culmination of all of the work we did on Odyssey and the work we did on DLC 2 um, in terms of how we build our stories and how we build our quests and what kind of choices we want to put in front of the player. And we managed to build the episode in such a way as to kind of feel like the uh, really fitting conclusion to that kind of design work that we've done. Uh, for storytelling. And I had an absolute blast working on that. But that was just me personally. I know a lot of the team is very much uh, uh, enthused by the worlds, just building these fantastic worlds. Because again, we're so used to building these very realistic worlds that when we get a chance to kind of let our imagination run free, uh, that kind of stuff from a creative perspective is uh, incredibly rewarding. I love that you gave us a tease for episode three. Uh, but I want to ask what kind of challenges you have uh, when creating a mythological world where the possibilities are pretty much endless, as you've said. There, there are a couple of important challenges. Even if it's a fantastic universe and we're not bound by the same rules, we're still bound by a set of rules. Like, for example, Elysium needs to make sense inside of its own context, right? So we can't uh, have, I don't know, uh, flying cars in Elysium, for example, because it has a certain set of rules. So that, that poses um, a number of challenges. We want the world that we're building to feel uh, consistent and real. So there are still things that you can and cannot do, and that's, that's really up to artistic direction and world direction to make sure that those kind of rules are clear. So it, there are conversations that will happen on the floor, like, oh, I want to have and now I get, like flying cars in Elysium. And then we have to say, well, we know we're not doing it realistic this year, but we can't have flying cars in Elysium type thing. We and those, yeah, those are the types of conversations you end up having. Now, now, I use flying cars as kind of a silly example, but it will be something like, oh, it could be, oh, can we have uh, in the sky a bunch of Pegasuses? <laughs> and, and, you know, the answer is still no. Okay, so basically um, trying to stick to uh, some form of rules is a challenge. Um, what about uh, integrating this fantasy to the broader world of uh, Odyssey? That was a huge challenge on TLC 2 actually, because even if we're working inside of kind of this fantastic universe, it needs to fit in the larger whole of everything that's been built for Assassin's Creed so far. And that goes back uh, over a decade now, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, over a decade now. And um, so we have to come up with story points that um, are uh, true inside of our lore to justify the existence of these worlds so that you can say, okay, we're in an imaginary world, but it's actually physically possible inside of the lore of Assassin's Creed that we built. And I spent weeks, literally weeks, trying to come up with um, a credible answer to how these three worlds can exist and how I can, you know, go on adventures in them 
and still keep ancient Greece and Cassandra uh, perfectly credible and legitimate, so that we're not saying, oh, uh, like I am, um, so that we know that these three worlds are part of lore. Yeah, they, so they're canon. On top of all the research you did on the mythological uh, side, uh, you did a lot of research uh, into the lore. I well, I don't. Yes, we do. We do. Uh, we do have to keep uh, doing research in the lore. But I've, I mean, I've been working on AC for so long, and a lot of this stuff I already know by heart. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 there are a lot of very minute details in terms of lore that you, you know, small rules that you can't break. Um, so we have a team uh, based in Montreal. Um, that we, we basically call the brand team right now, Susan Patrick, who was a writer on Assassin's Creed Odyssey and helped us out a lot. Uh, we, would, we would run a lot of our stuff past her because she has this great, uh, she carries this great knowledge of present day and Assassin's Creed lore. And, um, you know, every time we have these crazy ideas, we write to Susan, hey, Susan, we're thinking about doing this type of thing. And she'd be like, oh, no, you can't do that because of X, Y, Z. Or, yeah, go ahead, knock yourself out. Yeah, so that's definitely a challenge. But it's also fun that you got to create these worlds uh, for uh, the community to explore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a tremendous pleasure. I, I actually, many years ago, I worked on uh, the DLC for Assassin's Creed 3, which was uh, the George Washington stuff, which was completely ridiculous. It was the first time we actually um, built fantasy-type content for AC3. So we, we shipped that in 2013, I think. So to come back in 2019 and be able to kind of go through the same roller coaster but with that experience has been you know, super helpful because I remember um, when we built George Washington, we kind of just assumed that, oh, the world had gone to hell. And we had to kind of get out of it with our you know special magical powers. And players... Uh, appreciated the content, but were like, tell me more about this world. Why, why, why is George Washington gone crazy? Why is everything on fire? Why? And we had realized we had neglected uh, that kind of world-building storytelling um, in uh, episode three. So we made sure that when we came back to DLC two, like six years later, I was like, oh, I remember that kind of lesson that we learned where people really didn't like this part. Well, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. So super beneficial. That's awesome. So... Um can you walk us through the process of creating a DLC as uh, opposed to uh, creating uh, the main game? The great thing about being um, being able to create DLC is that your toolset is already done. Mm -hmm. it, it, you don't have the same problems. When you're building Odyssey, you're building your content, as well at the same time as you're building all your tools and all your systems and everything. Everything is kind of being built at the same time, which can make um, progress very difficult. Because if you're trying to build a simple conversation, but the tools for the conversation don't work, you can't move forward, you have to go do something else, you come back later, things move uh, forward at different paces. It's relatively... I mean, it is part of production, but it can cause problems. When you get on DLC, um, that tool set, in theory, is already complete. Everything you need to build a game should be available. All you have to do now is populate it with content. So you have to build your world, you have to make sure you build your architecture, and then you build your stories and your quests and that and that type of thing. But you don't have to uh, open up boxes that have, you know, oh, uh, uh, whichever tool... Uh, it needs to be finished. Yeah, exactly. And it makes it makes it allows us to focus on content, and we don't have really to spend any resources on technology or things that players basically don't don't see. Don't. Yeah, and it's fun. DLCs allow you to expand on the story, so you're getting to go back to the world and uh, the characters and see how much forever you can take them. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, I've uh, being a quest director for most of my career. I've always been heavily involved in the storytelling. And um, 
being able to move forward with Cassandra was a lot of fun. But at the same time, the stories that we build uh, are much better when we ground them in the world that they're in. So, yes, we, we could have talked more about, uh, I don't know, Cassandra's family, extended family, or maybe the, the Spartan Greek War. I don't know, perhaps. But it was a lot more interesting for us and for players to tell what are the stories in, like, for example, Elysium. What is going on here? Who is affected? How are people reacting to these scenarios, that scenario? So the stories that we build are really more, how can I say, like localized, for example. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Cassandra and her story, whether it's the family uh, storyline or the mythical, mythological creature storyline, were really well exploited and, um, and well uh, told. So I was less interested in reopening that type of thing. One of the things that we know is that if you you need to tell the story of the world at the same time. So that's really where we, we like to spend uh, our time. What are you most proud of having accomplished uh, with The Fate of Atlantis? Oh my, the team has worked so hard and accomplished so much. I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that, uh, you know, to use an expression, we've given players a bang for their buck. In terms of the quality and um, the quantity of content that we've offered players with these three episodes, I don't think anybody can say that we cheaped out. We really, we worked hard to really push everything forward, whether it's systems, whether it's quest design, whether it's story, narrative design, everything. Um, I mean, there's a little something for everybody in there and there's um, enough content. Just to tell you, uh, like five years ago in my career, if we were hitting 20, 25 hours for a main game, we were like satisfied. And now we're hitting 20, 25 hours for DLC on a game that's already shipped hundreds of hours. That's just amazing. So really, really proud of that. Yeah, you're giving players a lot to play with. Yep. And obviously there was a lot of uh, mythology in the main game and uh, you've uh, developed that much further in uh, the DLC. Uh, how has it been getting to explore uh, topics more in depth with uh, the DLC? It's, it's been, a, again, uh, a lot of fun because uh, we, we, we get to work on content a lot. But like we knew that in this fantastic world, uh, uh, myths and mythical creatures were going to be an important part. There was just no getting around it. And that was perfectly fine because the mythical creatures like the Cyclops and the Minotaur and all that stuff from uh, Odyssey was really well received. So it was kind of a no-brainer for us. And we actually got really uh, lucky because there was one that we wanted to put in the main game that we we, we didn't have uh, the time or the money for. So Cerberus, uh, the, the three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades, was something that we had wanted to do in uh, the main game and never got a chance. It was cut pretty early on, but we'd already had kind of the concept art was there. Uh, animators already had a plan what they were going to do. But it was just a little, it was prohibitively expensive in terms of, you know, because in, inside the wider scope of the game. So when we knew we were going back to Hades, we were like, oh, really? The, you know, the three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades, geez, I wonder what we could possibly do with that. And <laughs> from the very first day, we were like, okay, this is going to be in the game. For sure, for sure. So it gave us and, uh, and, and, and the, well, it gave the team a chance to kind of go back and go, all right, we get a second chance. How, are we going to do it the way we planned originally? Let's make this thing happen. And that's, that, that's the kind of stuff that's uh, a, a lot of fun to, that only DLC will allow us to do. Yeah, that's so awesome. You get the opportunity to create something you may not have had the chance to get around uh, in doing uh, for the main game. And uh, the community gets to see what you wanted to create and uh, have fun with that too. 
It's yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in terms of like just the mythical creatures, we have the Cerberus in episode two. I mean, he's in all the markings. Not like I'm spoiling anything, but we have you know, there's another one coming down the line at some point over the course <laughs> of the next couple of episodes. That is, uh, this one is all us. You know, we were like, we we got into a room and it was like, okay, so we've already done these amazingly, you know, iconic creatures. What can we do that's gonna, you know, blow people's minds? And um, without spoiling anything, you know, there's there's gonna be another one, and it's it's uh, pretty damn cool. Do you have uh, any last thing you would like to share with the community? I have actually. You know what? There is one thing we haven't talked about. Um, in the in the main game in Odyssey, uh, we did uh, get a little bit of flack from players in regards to how we uh, handled uh, present day or modern day. I think they say in subreddit in the subreddit. Um, and one of the things uh, I got a chance to do as a game director for for the second DLC was to make sure that we address that. So there is we we don't typically talk about it in public, but there's a pretty big component of um, DLC two that is in the modern day and pushes that story forward in a way that players will never expect. I, I promise you, um, anybody who is a fan of modern day will be left mouth open, uh, agape by the time they get to the end of DLC three. So you've heard the community. You've listened and uh, you've wanted to address that in the DLC. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, uh, I agreed with the criticism. I, we have to make choices over the course of production. There are things that we're going to prioritize over other things. And that creates scenarios like the one that we went on that we had for modern day. But um, it isn't out of a lack of love or a lack of desire. It's, you know, as is often the case, it's just a lack of time. Yeah. So to be able to go back and say, all right, so what are we going to do to move the needle for modern day was really important for me on DLC 2, and we have absolutely nailed it. It's really great you get to work on that, and it's uh, really interesting, and uh, uh, thank you so much for sharing that insight on uh, what limits you and how you try to address that further in uh, DLCs. Um, I think the community is going to be really happy to hear that you've... Uh, Like, do you hear them? And um, thank you so much for sharing a bit about what uh, uh, work goes into that. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Call me anytime. <laughs> Love and enthusiasm. Thank you so much, Hugo. You're welcome. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning more about the making of a DLC. Let us know what you think about this interview on Twitter and our official forums. Stay tuned for our next episode. À bientôt.